This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and Director of Communications at the ACLU of PA. There are many public policies that have fed mass incarceration in Pennsylvania and in this country, from extreme sentencing to over-policing to duplicate offenses that criminalize a single act. One of those policy choices is the Commonwealth's overuse of cash bail. On any given day, there are more than 30,000 people in Pennsylvania's county jails. A majority of them have been accused but not convicted of a crime. And many of them are only in jail because they've been ordered to post cash bail but don't have the money to pay it. In December, ACLUPA released a report called Broken Rules, how Pennsylvania courts use cash bail to incarcerate people before trial, which examines the cash bail practices in courts throughout the state. In April, ACLUPA filed a class action lawsuit against several magisterial district judges in Lancaster County, arguing that these MDJs failed to consider the many factors that the law requires when setting cash bail, including a person's ability to pay. For this episode, I talked with two ACLUPA colleagues, Jessica Lee, our criminal justice investigator, and Nisa Taylor, ACLUPA's criminal justice strategic litigation and policy counsel. Jess talks about the findings and recommendations of our report, and Nisa tells us more about why we sued the Lancaster County MDJs. This is the first of two episodes about cash bail. In our next episode, we'll hear about bail funds, the mutual aid organizations that pay people's bail. Well, Jess, thanks for taking the time to talk. It's really great to have you here on Speaking Freely and to hear your perspectives and about all your work on cash bail. Thanks so much for having me. So I was hoping that first you could just talk, give us a little bit of an explainer about bail. Explain the purpose of cash bail and the other options that judges have when a person comes before them. So bail is a mechanism of pretrial release. When someone is charged with a crime, they're innocent until proven guilty and therefore entitled to their pretrial liberty um, under the Pennsylvania Constitution. Um, So under the rules of criminal procedure, um, magisterial district judges have five, uh, can choose from five different types of bail. First, release on recognizance. It's uh, the least restrictive type of bail and the default that um, MDJs should consider. Essentially, um, someone promises to return to their next court date Um, and they're released. Um, Another option is unsecured bail. So if the MDJ sets unsecured bail, then the defendant is released. And if they fail to appear, or if they fail to comply with one of their bail conditions, then they owe a sum of money to the court. Um, A third type is non-monetary bail. So the magisterial district judge can impose conditions like um, this defendant must report to their pretrial officer once a week. Uh, They must submit to drug and alcohol evaluation. Um, Those are just some of the types of non-monetary conditions that judges can impose um, and let that person uh, be in their community. 
Uh, fourth type is nominal bail. So a person just has to pay some insignificant amount of money in order to be released. And finally, uh, cash bail. Um, the defendant has to pay upfront a sum of money in order to be released. So all five types of bail, though, are um, mechanisms of release. If the magisterial district judge determines that they're available, um, which most people are, um, then each of these different types of bail function to um, release that person pre-trial. And that's what we're going to get into here in this conversation, because it doesn't necessarily play out the way that you're describing. So let's talk about a report that we released in December. The report analyzes cash bail practices around the state, and you were the lead researcher and author on that report. What did the report find? Yeah, um, so working with an incredible group of data scientists from the University of Pennsylvania, we made four key findings. First is that across Pennsylvania, magisterial district judges routinely set bail too high for people to afford. More than half of the people assigned cash bill did not post it and remained incarcerated. And like we just talked about, that sort of turns cash bail on its head, right? If the system were functioning as it should, as it was envisioned in the constitution, then every single person represented in the data should have been able to post bail. That amount of cash bail should have been affordable and they should have been released. Yet as our analysis reveals, um, cash bail functioned to keep people in jail, not free them before trial. A second finding was that cash bail was the most common type of bail set across Pennsylvania. Magisterial district judges used cash bail more than any other bail type. Third, uh, we found that some counties rarely assign ROR or release on recognizance, um, which is the least restrictive type of bail and the constitutional default like we talked about. Um, I think only about one in five people were released on ROR in our report. And fourth and finally, um, MDJs impose cash bail more frequently and in higher amounts for black people than their white counterparts. Um, black defendants uh, were assigned about $13,000 more uh, in cash bail. And this pattern persisted in nearly every county across Pennsylvania. I also found it interesting how these practices seem to vary even within a county. So how, what, what bail you get assigned seems like it could be really a total luck of the draw based on which MDJ happens to be in court the day that you come in for, for your cash bail here for, for your bail hearing uh, for your preliminary hearing. It, it's, and that suggests that there's no real, accountability coming from the top, but that these MDJs are almost operating as individual fiefdoms, you know, where they make decisions independently and with no guidance. Uh, well, there is guidance, but they're not following it. Absolutely. Um, especially in some counties where there are 20, 30 different magisterial district courts. 
Um, it really can depend, um, like you said, uh, which judge you come before, they might determine uh, you can be released on unsecured bail and another judge who might be more punitive um, sets cash bail in $100,000. So we've had two cases in recent years on counties' cash bail practices, one in Philadelphia and one now in Lancaster. In both of those cases, we accuse the magistrates who oversee bail hearings of failing to consider a person's ability to pay. The Broken Rules Report looks at how often magisterial district judges use, use cash bail in a two-year period versus how often they used other forms of pretrial release, as you, as you just described. Do we know anything more about MDJ's deliberations in these bail hearings? I realize that requires a degree of court watching, which is pretty labor-intensive. Yeah, so part of the investigation for broken rules, we did attempt uh, court watching in a number of counties across Pennsylvania. Um, but as you uh, suggested, court watching is very difficult in our state um, because the system is so decentralized. Um, it's, bail is set um, in different magisterial district courts each county has a number of different magisterial district courts, and these preliminary arraignments can happen at any time of the day. Um, sometimes uh, if, they're, if, if a person comes in and it's after hours, um, then sometimes the magisterial district judge will arraign that person over video, um, and the defendant might be in jail, and the judge might be in their private chambers. So... Um, it's very difficult to get eyes on those hearings, but in the um, instances where we were able to um, be in court and observe how judges set bail, um, oftentimes uh, they make these determinations very quickly um, without much information. Um, the person doesn't have an opportunity to present information about themselves. Um, they don't have an opportunity. The judge doesn't ask, you know, how much money do you make? Are you able to afford this bail amount so you can be released? Um, none of that sort of inquiry um, we observed um, when we court watched preliminary uh, arraignments in Pennsylvania. Now, the data analyzed in the report is from 2016-17. Is there any reason to think that there have been any improvements in the years since then? We've heard anecdotally that some counties um, are developing or expanding their pretrial services. Um, we've heard anecdotally that president judges are exercising uh, leadership and uh, providing oversight. They're having those conversations with magisterial district judges. They're paying more attention. Um, so, uh, and, and also Dauphin County, I think, recently passed a local rule that requires MDJs to state in writing their reasons for setting cash bail, which provides more transparency. Um, definitely um, improvements. Um, but uh, for example, in, in Lancaster County where activists uh, from the Lancaster Bail Fund um, and from other grassroots groups, they've been demanding bail reform for more than a year now. Um, and 
through our investigation, um, we found that they were not complying with the rules and um, that's why we filed a lawsuit there. Um, but further research is warranted um, to understand what current practices look like, especially in those counties um, that have undertaken reforms. Well, as usual with these reports, we uh, we identify a problem and then make recommendations for how they can do better. So what are what are our recommendations um, for how the county uh, magisterial district judges can improve their bail practices? So first, uh, we recommend that magisterial district judges follow the law. Um, they... I'm chuckling because it's like, wow, imagine that. Follow the law. <laughs> Jeez. Right. It's, it's not uh, um, too out there, I hope. Um, <laughs> we expect uh, judges to use bail as it was intended, um, as a mechanism for release. They should first consider release on recognizance, um, let people out um, into their community while their case is resolved, um, and only impose additional conditions if they are necessary to encouraging the person to return to their court date. Um, judges should consider implementing non-monetary conditions like uh, text message court date reminders that have been proven uh, to be effective. Um, and if they do determine that cash bail is necessary to ensure future appearance, um, then that amount of cash bail must be affordable. Um, second, we recommend that the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts promote transparency by analyzing bail data on a regular basis. Um, third, president judges should exercise their supervisory authority over the MDJs whom they oversee. And fourth, we recommend courts and jails um, work together to install safeguards that guarantee no person is incarcerated before trial. Well, Jess, this is all really helpful information. Uh, the report is really impressive, and I think it's so critical that folks know how these courts are operating in Pennsylvania. They're, we're keeping people in jails unnecessarily, and the report makes that quite clear. Um, so thanks again for your work and for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Lisa Taylor, thank you for joining me for the podcast. You are our Criminal Justice Strategic Litigation and Policy Council, which means you know a lot about the criminal justice system, right? Sometimes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes when you know a lot about the system, it's not great. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. let's uh, let's dig into something that's not great, and that's the situation in Lancaster County. So we have a new lawsuit um, against the county and against some particular stakeholders in the county uh, over their cash bail practices. So let's start with, if we file a lawsuit, it's, it's, it's because a government agency is doing something wrong. What are the folks in Lancaster County doing wrong here? So in one sentence, they are incarcerating poor people because they cannot afford to pay cash bail. And they're doing it a lot. Um, that is the sort of quick, quick summary of it. A, you know, a broader, more complicated answer is um, people who are charged with a crime are presumed innocent. They have the right 
to pretrial freedom that is protected by both the United States Constitution and our own Pennsylvania Constitution. Now, this is not a wholly unfettered right. There can be limits to someone's right to pretrial liberty. But anytime you take away someone's pretrial freedom, anytime the government takes it away, they have to do so carefully. There are procedures that must be followed. There are decisions that must be made. The Constitution sets forth uh, in the 14th Amendment, the Due Process Clause. You have to give procedures and process before you deprive people of their rights. And Lancaster County was not doing that. Um, I'm going to talk just briefly about what bail, how bail hearings happen in Lancaster County. Um, someone is arrested. They are brought almost immediately to the Lancaster County Prison, where they're held, surrounded by correctional officers, unable to talk to family or friends. They will then go before a magisterial district judge, also called an MDJ, but they will do it via video. So they will be sitting in a small room in Lancaster County Prison, again, with correctional officers beside them, talking to a judge over a video screen. These hearings last, some a couple of our clients said a minute, some said five, but no more than five minutes. And in this incredibly brief period of time, a really important decision is made with absolutely no process. Um, judges make these decisions in quick, um, cursory hearings. They don't get the information that they need to make a careful decision. And then they impose cash bail on poor people who can't afford it. So some, you know, rich, like someone who gets assigned $5,000 cash bail, if they don't have the funds, they sit and they sit for days or weeks or months. Whereas another person, maybe they have the $5,000 and they can pay it. And so they get to buy their freedom. So it creates a two-tiered system of justice where poor people remain incarcerated and wealthy people have the opportunity to enjoy their liberty. And that is not how it should be. Yeah, and, and I, I've talked with Jessica Lee from our team about this and the purpose is not to keep people detained, but it's, it's supposed to be an incentive for them to come back for their hearings. So, and you alluded to it, um, th there isn't even any consideration for whether or not the person lives in poverty, what their, what their annual income is. And that's, that's the situation here in Lancaster County from, my, from what I understand. That's absolutely right. The purpose of bail is to ensure that someone returns to court. It's that simple. Cash bail is a means to get people to come back. It should never be used as a means to incarcerate someone to hold them until trial. And in fact, the Pennsylvania Rules of Criminal Procedure explicitly prohibit that and say, you should not assign cash bail to hold someone until trial. Any condition should not be used in that way, any condition of bail. Now, if a magisterial district judge believes that someone is either such a danger to the community or such a flight risk that they can't consider releasing them, what the magisterial district judge should do in that case is not assign bail, is hold them without bail. But that requires even greater process because in order to hold someone without bail, a judge has to state reasons on the record as to why they made that determination. 
Why is this person so dangerous that they can't be released? Why do they pose such a flight risk? You know, and again, all of this must be viewed within the rubric of the presumption of innocence. So it's, you know, it's, it's a really troubling system where cash bail is sometimes used carelessly. And I will say carelessly and that small amounts hold poor people in jail, amounts that other people would pay. And cash bail is sometimes used intentionally and frankly, lazily to keep people in jail because the MDJ, the judge, does not make the proper determination that a person is not eligible for pretrial release. You mentioned there are protections in both the state and federal constitutions uh, that ensure people have due process rights. And, you know, in theory, they're not supposed to be held in this way, the way they are in Lancaster County. Um, we filed this case in federal court. So what are we asking the court to do? So we're, we're asking the court to do a couple things. We filed it against the four named MDJs. We also filed it against the warden and we filed it against the county. Um, and I'm gonna back up for a minute because one of the other claims that was included in our lawsuit was the failure to provide counsel, to provide an attorney at a bail hearing. And we are arguing that people who are about to be incarcerated have the right to have an attorney represent them at a bail hearing because that is a critical stage of the prosecution. And in this case, Lancaster County has the obligation to provide an attorney and they did not, they do not provide attorneys. Um, so we are asking the county to provide counsel at arraignment. We are also asking the warden not to honor any bail um, detention orders, basically, unless a judge can confirm that they were assigned with the appropriate process. So we're asking the warden not to hold people if they, um, not to hold people on these orders that we believe are unconstitutional. So even though the warden really doesn't have anything to do with the creation of these orders, she is actually, unfortunately, the one who is enforcing them. So that is why we are asking her to basically stop enforcing these orders um, and, and basically moving forward to give people who are incarcerated on unaffordable cash bail a careful review of those conditions of bail to ensure that they are in fact constitutional and meet and, and appropriate, making sure that, you know, if you assign cash bail to someone, that's an appropriate assignment, an appropriate imposition. One of the things we talk about when we talk about cash bail is the impact on the people who are detained and can't afford their bail. Um, we have a number of clients in this case. Can you tell me a bit about our clients? What is the impact on them? I know that even a few days in jail can have adverse impacts on a person's life. Yeah. Um, so I'm not using our clients' full names. And I am doing that because, again, these, these people may all at some point um, not be convicted. And I do not want them to have a record of this case as an arrest if, if this matter would ultimately be expunged. So that is why we're using their initials. Um, so I will take the example of um, HC, who was held on $100,000 cash bail. Um, he had two part-time jobs that he has lost. He is worried about losing his home of 13 years because he can't pay rent. 
He is also not able to speak with his 16-year-old daughter, who prior to incarceration, he saw weekly. Um, in addition, he has pretty severe health consequences. He has diabetes. And every time I, I met with him several times before filing, and he described to me um, what, what he called falling out at night, really having comas because his sugar dropped so mm -hmm. severely. Wow. And his cellmate actually confirmed that to me as well. His cellmate came up to me and said, please, please, I'm so worried about him. He fell out a couple of times last night. You know, and HC said to me, when I'm out, I can manage my diabetes. You know, he said, I have a doctor. I, the insulin I receive on the streets, I'm fine with it. I can manage it with my diet. I can't do any of that here. He says they're giving me vegetarian meals that are all carbs. And then I have these wild spikes up and down. And this has been going on for over a month, you know, and, and, or I'm, I'm going to take CB. He's an 18 year old, I want to say young man, very young man um, who was in high school and he was set to graduate this May. He was actually supposed to be graduating in a couple of weeks. And he has been in on, I think it's $300,000 cash bail. Can't graduate, missed his high school year. If he completes it, he's gonna have to either redo it or get his GED. Um, you know, and every single one of our clients has a story like that. It's, you know, the other the other thing I'll note is that we, we spoke with a lot of people, not just our name plaintiff. We spoke with about, I think it was 36, maybe 35 or 36 people in total, all of whom incarcerated on cash bail, not all of whom um, ultimately became plaintiffs for one reason or another. People often do move pretty quickly through, or not quickly, but within weeks. Um, but we spoke with one woman who was separated from her four kids for two months. Um, another person who had never had any arrest or conviction before and was held for over two weeks and lost her job as like, um, basically as a healthcare worker. I mean, everyone we speak with loses their job. If you're in custody, for more than you know, three days and you can't even call your employer, there are very few employers that are willing to forgive an, a, you know, even a two week absence or a five day absence. Yeah. So that to me was the most striking sort of consistent harm that comes is people lose their jobs and then they lose their homes and then they lose the ability to care for their kids, you know, and it's, they lose the, the support, their spouses lose support, they can't buy food. I mean, it, it has all of these ripple effects. And the thing is, it's like, it's unnecessary in most of these cases, right? It's absolutely unnecessary. Why are we disrupting people's lives in this way that has all these harmful downstream consequences for no benefit at all? No benefit to public safety, no benefit to you know the government. I mean, it, it's sort of mind boggling. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is the way in which these, this incarceration actually harms people's cases, because it doesn't just create all these like really terrible implications, as I think anyone can understand if you, I mean, imagine being taken out of your life for two weeks, yeah. what would happen to, to everything in your life, and then being dropped back in again. But if you're held for any period of time, it really harms your ability to defend yourself. Um, it's hard to gather evidence if you're incarcerated. It's hard to talk to your attorney. Um, you know, it, most of the people that I had spoken with had not had a chance to have a confidential communication with their attorney. Um, it's 
really, I heard time and time again, I'm willing to plead to anything just to get out of here. I didn't do it, but I'll plead because I can't deal with being in here. You know, it, they're willing to take deals. They, they probably shouldn't. Um, and I think that it, you know, it really, um, you can really see the way that upends what we, it upends any kind of justice um, for a lot of people. So when we filed this case, a reporter who has covered these issues tweeted that this could be any county in Pennsylvania. And our recent statewide report, Broken Rules, certainly suggests that based at least on the use of cash bail across the across the state. Do you think this case could have impact beyond Lancaster County? And, and in a best case scenario, how would that play out? I certainly hope that it does. Um, we, Pennsylvania, has seen a extreme increase over the past four decades in the rise of pretrial incarceration. I think it's over, I don't remember the exact numbers, but over 100%, I mean, maybe even over 400%. A huge number of the, um, and, and it was not always like this. I think it can be really easy to forget that we think, oh, cash bail, it's always been around, we've always been doing this. That's actually not the case. Not only have we seen a rise in the number of people incarcerated on cash bail, we've seen a rise in the overall amount that, of people incarcerated on cash bail and really gotten away from the purpose of cash bail. And if you went back to the 80s or maybe even the early 90s, I think things looked really differently. So what we are ultimately hoping is that counties across Pennsylvania take a really good look at the way their cash bail system is working or, or frankly not working. And this is not, I actually wanna put a caveat in there. I don't know that we could file in every county. And I say that, and, and I'm, I refer to Jess on this, um, but I know that she's been having really, she's had some really encouraging conversations with um, common pleas court judges, um, a couple of them. And I wanna say in some, some deeply conservative Western small rural counties, that actually take this problem seriously and meet with their MDJs on a regular basis and encourage their MDJs to read the constitution, read the rules of criminal procedure, not incarcerate people on unaffordable cash bail to really do their job. And so I don't think it's entirely hopeless. I think if we have more, if we have more common pleas judges that exercise supervision over the MDJs, if we have a greater sort of system-wide awareness of what cash bail should be used for, and if we have some really review mechanisms that counties can put in place to ensure that if these aren't, you know, if people are being incarcerated on cash bail willy-nilly, there's some kind of review. Um, the other thing I wanna say is that it really varies from MDJ to MDJ, even within Lancaster County, mm. you know? Some of the judges we looked at had cash bail incarceration rates of cash bail rates of like 60%. Others were down to 20, 25%. So some of it's really the luck of the draw in terms of who you get in front of. And I think, again, I do think there is a way forward for counties to just start paying attention. When I say counties, I really mean common pleas court judges and the, the larger judicial districts to really um, start, start tracking this better. So there are a lot of stakeholders here, county, state, federal. We're in federal court, as we discussed. 
um, asking for enforcement of the federal constitution. A few years ago, we did have a case in state court about Philadelphia's bail practices. And you've mentioned the rules of criminal criminal procedure. So isn't there a role here for the state Supreme Court? So the rules of criminal procedure are promulgated by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania Criminal Procedural Rules Committee, which all of that is a big mouthful of legal jargon. But basically, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania creates rules that tell magisterial district judges how they should be setting bail. And we currently have, frankly, a, a decent, they're not great, but we have a decent set of rules that, that create a careful procedure for how judges should set bail. Now, I will say most judges completely ignore those rules. Um, I'm not even sure they've read them, to be honest. And um, I think the Supreme Court could do more in terms of education and really sort of encouraging a system-wide um, awareness of this. I know that there's regular training for the magisterial district judges, I think increasing awareness of the rules and sort of through the common police court judges. So common police court judges are above magisterial district judges and they exercise supervisory authority. Now, they don't exercise hiring and firing authority, again, because these are all elected officials. So they can only right. do so much. But I do think that more could be done within the current power structure. But I also want to put a pin in it and return to those rules. Because um, I guess it was at the end of last year, the Supreme Court Rules Committee released a new set of proposed rules that would govern bail practices. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot, even more robust procedure included in the new proposed rules. Um, the rules would require a review hearing for anyone held on cash bail within 48 or 70, 72 or 48 hours um, at which council would have to be appointed. So there was a lot of, I was heartened to see the Supreme Court really taking this, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania really taking this issue seriously and really taking to heart a lot of the concerns that I know um, we have raised in prior litigation. Now, those rules are not final and it may be months or years before we have a final set of rules. And that's not to say the current rules aren't good. So you, you could change the new rules, they could be even better and people could still ignore them. So it really needs to be like a twofold process. Yes, make the rules better and get more people to pay attention to them at the same time. Right, right. All right. Well, thanks, Nisa. Really appreciate it. We'll look forward to following this lawsuit out of Lancaster. And thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Thank you again to Jessica Lee and Nisa Taylor. You can read our report, Broken Rules, at aclupa.org slash bail report. And learn more about the Lancaster lawsuit at aclupa.org slash Lancaster bail. Reminder to be on the lookout in two weeks for our second episode on this topic when we discuss bail funds with ACLUPA's Alex Domingos and Michelle Batt of the Lancaster Bail Fund. Select episodes of Speaking Freely are available on our YouTube channel, including this one. Go to our YouTube channel with the handle ACLUPA and hit the subscribe button. That brings episode 73 to a close. The audio editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet, and our video editor is Betsy Dorsett. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be healthy and be free. <laughs>